Have you ever felt like chasing success only leads to unfulfillment? Are you chasing the temporary or living with an eternal perspective? Be careful. It's easy to live life like you're chasing the wind. Over this three-part series, Pastor Jimmy teaches from Ecclesiastes on how you can live a life with meaning and purpose. All right, good morning, everybody. Do me a favor, help me welcome all of our first-time guests. We're so glad to have you guys worshiping with us. And to everybody, welcome to Grace Life. So glad to be worshiping with you today as well. Man, that was, uh, that was some anointed worship. I don't know about you, but there are days where I just wanna keep that going and stay on the front row. But uh, here we are. So we're gonna go ahead and, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say something that hopefully is gonna take you a little bit closer to God. That's the goal. Uh, so hey, before we get into the message, want to uh, talk about Summer of Serve. As you just saw, yesterday was our serve day. We had people all over the city of Columbia doing different things to make Jesus famous. And here's the truth. It's really hard for people to say bad things about God when God's people are doing good things for them. And that's not always the reputation that God's people have. Yes, God? I didn't know he used a phone these days. That was, wow. Well, there you go. Is it gonna be one of those Sundays? Whew. Hope not. But anyway, so listen, it was a great day. Hey, if you missed out on being able to be a part of that, the good news is Summer of Serve goes all the way through Labor Day. And there are other ways for you to do things that make a difference. And, and there's one I wanna highlight this week because it's the final week. We're wrapping this one up and it is our collection for Daybreak Ministries. Daybreak Ministries comes alongside of a young couple or a young lady who is pregnant and is considering whether or not she's going to be able to keep this child and or if there's another option that would be better for her. Now, I know for many of us, near and dear to our hearts, is giving every unborn baby a chance at life, amen? And so the problem is sometimes we're really loud at what we say and really quiet at what we do. And so this is where we need to put actions behind our words. We need to step up here. So, uh, you know, one of the reasons, uh, one of the primary reasons that some people choose abortion is they're simply overwhelmed. They weren't prepared for this moment and they don't know if they're gonna have the support that they need to raise a child. And so Daybreak comes alongside of them with mentoring for the young man, mentoring for the woman, and then just practical needs as well. Simple things like diapers and car seats and being able to provide for that child formula and so forth. And so one of the things that you can do is go out and buy a lot of the stuff on that list and drop it off so that we can, I mean, for every car seat, for every pack of diapers, that's, that's another mom saying, okay, I think you can help me get through this. And uh, then also, you know, we've got the baby bottle campaign. We, we, do we still have empty bottles or have we given them all out? I don't know. We still got empty bottles. And if we run out, it's okay. It doesn't have to go in a bottle. But they say, hey, look, put all your spare change in here uh, and, and give that back to us. And look, that's kind. But can I be honest? I think a baby's life is worth more than spare change. So feel free to put really large green things, not large numbers on green things. Feel free to write checks. Uh, those are children. Amen? Yeah. Guys, uh, let's, let's go make a difference. Let's, let's make Jesus famous, and let's bring some babies to life here in Columbia. All right, uh, let's see. I think, uh, oh yeah, one more thing before we get into the message. Next Sunday, holiday weekend, cheeseburgers, fireworks. Come on, who's excited for July 4th? Yeah, somebody? Y'all know the problem? This year with July 4th, it's on Sunday. Now, I know y'all are all real spiritual people, and I don't need to say this, because I'm sure none of you are going to the beach. 
And none of you are going to be having fireworks late on Saturday night. None of you are going to be needing to heat up the grill during church service. And I, I know none of you, but in case you have a friend, <laughs> in case you're asking for a friend, I want to remind you that if you aren't going to be able to be here on Sunday, July 4th, we have our first service of the weekend every Thursday. So you can come Thursday, July 1st, 6.45 p.m. It's, and I say this, but I, I need to say it again to make it real clear. I used to teach middle school, and I know nobody hears everything I say. It's the exact same service. Same children's ministry, same message, same worship, same everything, except you get free food. So come at 6 o'clock and eat, or come at 6.45 and worship or come Sunday, July 4th, your choice. There you go. Everybody good? Well, hey, if you are a guest, we are wrapping up a series today. This is actually part three. It's a short little series we've been doing called Chasing the Wind, and it's a study from the book of Ecclesiastes. It's three big ideas out of the book that really kind of sum everything up. At least it's what I think are the three biggest ideas in the book. And uh, we started two weeks ago with part one. It was kind of like a title track because we also called part one Chasing the Wind. And uh, what we discovered is the author, by the way, we don't know who that is. The author simply names himself as a preacher and a great king in Israel, but there are many clues in the book uh, that make us think that it's the great King Solomon. So many people believe it's Solomon. I often refer to the author as Solomon while I'm preaching, and we're just going to go with that. Uh, but what happens is the author, or Solomon, again, as I think, says, I had it all. I had everything, every pleasure the world could offer, all the stuff the world could offer, and in the end, didn't really fulfill. And so we found out that if we want to have a meaningful life, we have to ask two questions. What are we chasing, and why are we chasing it? Turns out you gotta have the right why, or all of the what is vanity of vanities, as the author says. And so then in part two, the author says, well, once you have asked those questions, once you have figured out what matters in life and you're doing it for all the right reasons, then enjoy life. Like, enjoy it. All of the rewards and all of the blessings that God gives you, it is so that you can enjoy life in this world. It's what makes life in a sinful world bearable. Can we just talk for a minute about this sinful world around us? Do you ever find yourself wondering, like, why? And then anything that comes after that? Why does it have to be this way? Why is this world so messed up? Why is this so broken? What? There are so many things that just don't seem like this is right. Come on, do y'all ever look at the news and you just, like, this just does not seem like this is the way it's supposed to be? Well, the author of Ecclesiastes noticed the same thing, and, and all throughout the book, he points out many of these. One of them he pointed out was that the, the people who love and worship God have to share the earth with people who do not. And, and he says, here's what seems, he says, evil. He says, here's what's evil about that, is that the people who are ungodly get to experience all of these blessings that God pours out upon his children. And then people who are godly, they have to suffer under some of the evils of a sinful world. That just doesn't seem right. He goes on to talk about justice. He says, look, what I've noticed as long as mankind's got power, justice just ain't just. And, and that just doesn't seem right. Now, here's, here's the reason you and I have a problem. We have to wrestle with this because our entire belief system is built upon faith in a God, a good and loving God who is supposedly in charge of all of that. What do you do with that? Do you ever find yourself having moments where you're just saying, why God? 
Why does that happen that way? Why does that person get away with that? Why this and why not that and why that and why not this? Do you ever ask those questions? I mean, come on, somebody with me on this one? And, and, and what we're really saying when we're like, why God? I don't understand. It shouldn't be that way. What we really are saying is if I were God, which leads us to the final part of Ecclesiastes because the author recognized the same things. He sees the same things that you and I see. It turns out what we see in our broken world today is nothing new, but he discovered that the only way to live a life of peace in such a messed up world is to let God be God. Let God be God because we're not. And I'm gonna share with you a couple of the observations that he made as he's looking around at the world and he's seeing things about mankind getting really frustrated with the world, but yet we're not able to do anything about it. He points out how limited we are. The first thing he points out to us is how our power is limited. Again, I'm gonna jump around all through Ecclesiastes, so it'll be easier if you just follow along and take notes as opposed to try to flip and keep up. But we're gonna start in chapter seven. He says, look, consider the work of God. Who can make straight? what he's made crooked. Anybody? Anybody? You ever like gone and looked at a, a, a riverbed that's flowing through the Colorado Rockies and thought, I can make a straight line out of this. Who, who can make straight what God made crooked? He goes on to say, no man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. You can't do much of anything. And yet we're all control freaks. Come on, everybody just admit it. We all want things to be exactly the way it is. And that's why we go to a restaurant. Well, I'll like this and take that off, leave that off, put this on it. Can I have that on the side instead? And if they say no, we, we like go off on them on Yelp. How dare you? One star review. They would not do it just like I wanted because I should have everything my way. That's, that's kind of how we live the world. And Solomon says, look, if you can't control the most basic thing, if you can't even decide the day you're gonna be a born, are, are you kidding me? You really probably should just let be God be God because he's powerful and you are not. We're the control freaks. But the funny thing is, God is El Shaddai. That's a name he gives himself. El Shaddai for God Almighty. That means he can make straight things crooked and crooked things straight and he can do whatever he wants to and we can't. So Solomon says, maybe we should let God be God. He goes on to point out what we see. Our perspective is limited. He said, then I saw, catch those two words there, then I saw saw the wicked buried. He's gonna talk about what he sees for a minute. He said, they used to go in and out of the holy place and they were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know, follow this, Yet I know that it will not be well with those, uh, that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear God, but it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. What Solomon is saying is like, here's what I think I'm seeing. Here's what it looks like. My perspective is I just went to the funeral of a very wicked man. And while he did wickedness upon the earth, everybody was like, Good job, good job. He's rich or he's famous or whatever he was. Everybody just thought he was the man. And I noticed all the way to the point of death. It appears he got away from with it because I just saw a wicked man buried. That's what he means by that. And, and all of his days, it looks like he got away with everything. He says, so what I see is very limited, but let me tell you something. What I know is that I don't see everything. He's able to point that out. 
He says, look, here's what I don't know. Even though it looks like he got away with it, what I don't know is what is he going through right now as he stands in front of his maker. What I, I don't see is maybe what happened behind the scenes. It only looked like everything was great, maybe just like somebody else's Instagram. It looks like it's all great, but maybe God actually was doing something behind the scenes. What I see is very limited. He goes on to explain if what we see is limited, then what we understand has to be limited as well. It says, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. And even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. This Hebrew phrase that he kept repeating, find it out, simply means to comprehend. He said, you can seek and you can study and you can be wise and you can try your best to comprehend what God is doing and you won't figure it out. You'll never figure it out because God is God. We do not understand what he does or why he does because we can only see so much and we only have so much power and God is orchestrating everything for a greater purpose and we want everything according to our purpose. It's, a, it's an interesting little conundrum we find ourselves in. And then he just sums it up. He says, we're just limited, period. Everything, we're limited. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. And nothing can be taken away from it. God has done it, and he did it so that people would fear him. <laughs> I think that one's funny. In other words, every now and then God does stuff just to remind you that he's God and you're not. That they're just, hey, God, why, why is the sky that color? Just because I wanted it to be, so that you could figure out you couldn't do that. What color did you make the sky? <laughs> what, what color did you? I make rainbows go all the way across the sky. What'd you do with your rainbow? Come on, see, there you go. I'm God. So you should probably let God be God. Now, here's the good news. Solomon never leaves us hanging. And so as he explained to us, you're God, I'm sorry, you're not God, so you should probably let God be God. He tells us exactly how to, to get ourselves back down to earth and to keep a, a good perspective. And so the first one that he tells us is revere God. We need to revere God. He actually uses the word fear God all throughout the book. And, and we use that word a lot. The reason I opted for revere is because it, it, first of all, is a word we don't use every day. And so it causes you to think a little bit more. And, and when we use the word fear, we use it in the wrong concept. Because when, when you use the word fear, we think of things like spiders, or it, that's what I think of with the word fear. Maybe you think of like darkness or hurricanes or something like that. But when, when we think of the word fear, we think of something that we're afraid of. And the concept here is not to be afraid of God, like, oh, no, he's gonna kill, that kind of thing. But it is to understand how great and mighty he is. And this is where we really struggle, even as Christians. There, there's like this wide spectrum, and over here on one end of the spectrum, we've got people who that's exactly what they do. Oh, no, oh, God, please don't. And their, their idea of God is that he's an angry judge up in heaven with lightning bolts in his hand, just ready to smite somebody. I'm just looking, I'm just looking. Let me see who it is. Maybe Brian, you know what I mean? It just God is just waiting, you know, like some angry whatever. And then on the opposite end of that spectrum, we know that the Bible says God calls us his friend and he loves us 
to the point that he sent his son to die on the cross. And he says he's adopted all of us and even put himself inside of us. How could he want to strike with lightning something that he lives inside of? And so the problem, though, is we have people on this end over here that are so afraid of the lightning bolts that if they, they did something a little wrong on Saturday, they skip church on Sunday because they don't want to be around God. And if they, if they just get to a point in their life where they think they're no good, they, they just fall off the map altogether. And over here, you've got people on the other side of the spectrum that say, I don't have to worry about anything. I can do anything I want, live any way I want, because God loves me, and he's my friend. And we lose sight of, I think a lot of this, the problem is because of how we function with our parents, if I could just be honest. You see, here's the idea. God does give us parents to help us understand godly authority, and, and, and uh, it's pretty well-known sort of thing that the way you see your earthly father is the way that you're gonna see your father in heaven. And so there's a lot of overlay. But, but here's what happens. We have parents, and they're all human, by the way, and we've all had parents, right? Everybody in this room. Some of us are now old enough to be parents. But, but what happens is we have parents that were either really stern, and they would go to work and come home and, and just sit and tell you to go mow the grass or do whatever, and, and you didn't really see a lot of smiles, and, and they, they didn't play on the carpet with you with Legos or, or anything like that. And so, so you're kind of a little on this side of the spectrum. And then there were people whose parents threw the Frisbee with them and threw the ball and played Monopoly with them. And so they, they got the idea that my, my parents are my friend and they love me and they hang out with me. And so, of course, they exist to make me happy. And then one day those parents told you to eat broccoli and you threw a little fit. But then one day, those parents told you, no, you cannot go out with that friend Friday night, and you go and slam the door and say, I hate you. And then we all say, well, they're just being a teenager. Now, something is broken inside of us that we think that the people who did give us life and have provided for every single moment and who are trying to make decisions that are best for us, that we have the right to scream, I hate you. And that should just be considered a cultural norm rite of passage at that age. And then we take this mentality and transfer it to God. Well, if you're really my friend, like the Bible says, I need help with my algebra test. And if I don't get an A on the algebra test, then I'm gonna say you're not a good God. And maybe even stop following you all together because, you know, I wanna do what I want to do Friday night. We, we put this same mentality upon God and and then that becomes an absolute disaster, to be honest. So here is what Solomon suggests in order to revere God, as well as to also understand that he's our father. How do you have a relationship with the one who is the creator God of the universe, God Almighty, but is also the one who says, you get to call me daddy? It's what scripture says in Galatians. Y'all know that, right? He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice to fools. For they do not know what they are doing, that, that what they are doing is evil. So be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and is great. That's what he means by that. And you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. He goes on to say, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. <laughs> Pay what you vow. 
It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hands? And and he makes a very obvious point that I'm not gonna take long to talk about and that is when we come to God, we, we run our mouths way too much. Hey, God, I know it's Monday, but hey, look, my boss wants me to do something, and I, would, I didn't do the project over the weekend, so can you help me not lose my job? Uh, God, I have an algebra test today. Can you please help me? I didn't study with that, but I could really use a miracle here. That'd be great. Okay, bye. <laughs> That's how we talk to God. And I'm not going to do a whole message on prayer, but hey, just for the fun of it, God already knows you didn't study for your algebra test. God already knows you didn't do what your boss asked. God knows that stuff, so maybe we should take a little bit of time to just go say, hey, since you see everything, since you know everything, and since you can do anything, what do you want from me today? That, that's just for free, because we're not doing a sermon series on prayer right now. Because what Solomon is actually trying to get at, and if it is Solomon, then he also gets credit for what he said in the book of Proverbs, which is where words are many, sin is not absent, even when talking to God. And he says, why are you making all of these vows and then you don't ever do it? And his point is very simple. We, we do this thing where we come and go, God, I'm so, so sorry. Will you please forgive me? I'll be better, I promise. And then as soon as you feel clean, y'all know what I'm talking about? Because you, you, you know that God has forgiven you. You feel loved and you feel clean again. You go right back and do the same stupid thing. But you just told God you were sorry, but you're evidently not sorry because you keep doing it. What he's saying is, look, if you say it, then do it. If you tell God you're gonna give, then give. If you tell God you're gonna stop, then by all means, with the power of the Holy Spirit, please make every effort to stop. Please please do whatever it is you say you're going to do. It'd be better if you didn't tell God you were gonna do anything. At least then the expectations are accurate. I'm getting a little older these days, and and people are starting to ask, "Are are you going to dye your hair? See, see, gray is starting to show up, and fortunately, it's a little harder to see for y'all way out there in the lights and all of that's kind of cool. But up close, there's little gray hairs showing up, and, and people ask me, are you, are you gonna, like, since you're on stage every week, are you gonna, like, start to dye that and keep it that way, like hair for men or men for whatever that dye? <laughs> Just for men? And the answer is no! And I'm gonna tell you why, and this is an absolute true story. Somewhere around 10 or 11 years old, I don't remember exactly, but I was, I was in that time frame. I was at my, my grandmother's house. It was my mom's parents. And we would go there every other Sunday. And so my mom is one of nine children. So there'd be lots of aunts and uncles and cousins. It was always kind of a, a crowded affair. And, and so as I'm sitting in the, the living room listening to the conversation, for whatever reason, the conversation turned to how you lose your hair. And I don't know if this is correct, but the conclusion that all my aunts and uncles arrived at is that it is, it is through your, your mother's lineage, your mother's line, whatever your mother's parents were, it, it will determine. And, and I look across the room at my mother's father, and he's bald. True story. And I promise you, I sat there at that moment and just said, God, Y'all are laughing. I'm serious. <laughs> let me get this out before you laugh. And I said, God, if you will let me keep it, I do not care what color it is. And, and, and you know, 
Look, if you can pull off the Mr. Clean look, like if you're six foot two and you've got biceps the size of my legs, you can be bald because it looks good and nobody is going to dare tell you if it doesn't. You know what I'm saying? But, but I look like Popeye without a spinach, you know? And, and you, did you ever watch Popeye? You know the few times his hat fell off? That's what I would look like. I, I mean, it, it just wouldn't work. But it's kind of like how Samson cut his hair and he lost all of his strength. I'm, I'm sincerely reverent before God that if I were to start dyeing my hair, that I would stand up here one Sunday and it would just start. <laughs> and by the end of the message, that's actually a true story. I really will not dye my hair because I really did say that. And you know, you can think that's funny, but everyone in this room at some point has said, God, if you would just get me out of this. God, if you'll just get me through this. God, if you'll get me out of this relationship, I promise I'll never date anyone who does not love you again. But then, God, if you'll help me not go to prison for, for this, then I'll never again. God, if you'll help me out of this this ticket, the police officers behind me, then God if. Is there anybody in this room or online that dares to say, I have never once told God I would do something? And what Solomon is saying is it'd be a really good idea. You have two choices right now. Number one, just go to God and say, I'm sorry. Hey, hey God, I'm sorry for, or number two, do what you said. It'd be better not to make a vow than to not pay the vow. He goes on to the second one and he says, the best way to let God be God is to obey God. And I know I just cussed in church, four-letter word, obey. Look, the truth is it's hard to do what God says sometimes, isn't it? it, is, it it's hard to forgive when you've been hurt. It's hard to love when it seems like they hate you. It's hard to give when you want to keep. It's hard to say no when you want to say yes because we're sinners. It's, it's hard to do everything that God wants. But here's where the author goes a little tongue-in-cheek, a little sarcastic, which I appreciate because, you know, it's, it's fun to read the Bible and realize these people were, that they, they were in touch with life. He says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Oh, you just walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Good, you can go right ahead. Uh, but know for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. <laughs> in other words, it's your life. It's your choice. You go right on and do whatever makes you happy. But since God is God and you are not, just remember your opinion is not the final answer. And then he wraps it up with the third one where he says, trust God. One of the most famous passages, probably the most famous passage in all of Ecclesiastes, most people do not even know comes from the Bible. Most people think that it was written by the birds since they were the ones who made it a number one hit in 1965. They don't get credit. The Holy Spirit does. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. 
a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. This is where we have to get really honest with ourselves because we love exactly half of that list. But Solomon goes on to say that he has made everything beautiful in its time. And as he started, there is a time for every matter under heaven. We want to celebrate, and we do every time a baby is born, but we hate when someone goes to be with God and we'll never be able to talk to them again on this earth. We love that we get to greet one of our best friends and spend time with them. We hate when that friendship needs to come to an end. We love exactly half, and yet we have to endure all seasons and trust God through both, the time to embrace and the time not. There's a time for everything, but we've decided we only want part of what life brings. And we've become what I would call fair weather fans. I think most of you know what that, that term means. It's like in sports when your team wins the Super Bowl and you had that one guy that caught the game winning touchdown with one hand behind his back as the clock expires and he falls into the end zone, the guy's a hero. And everybody buys his jersey. And for the next year, anytime he goes into a restaurant, the crowd erupts, somebody pays the bill. He can't do any wrong. He can run a red light. He doesn't get a ticket. And for whatever reason, the next season, he goes and it over his hand. Another one is thrown to him and it goes through his hands. And before you know it, people say boo when he takes the field and we're burning his jersey. Come on. We're fickle people. That's what we do to God. Oh my gosh, you're, you're incredible. I can't believe it. Look, you're the one that told me to go eat Chinese and on the back of the cookie were these little numbers. Who knew? I just used the numbers at the gas station. Woo, I won the lottery. It's amazing. God, you are so good. And then about a year later, when you didn't bother to tell the IRS that you won the lottery, God, how could you? One of my favorite things about my job is hearing from the staff every week about people who have surrendered their lives to God, made Jesus their king. And I, I get to hear that there are people who have moved from death to life. 
It's exciting. But I'm a little bit of a control freak, so I have to be honest. I have a little bit of worry. And I, and I wonder, can, can I get their phone numbers? Can I just, can I call them and tell them what's coming? Because what I know is that as they, they sit in this room and whether it was the, the, the song we were singing or something in the message or the friendly person who greeted them. And of course, we know it was really just the touch of the Holy Spirit. And they begin to feel all warm and fuzzy inside and they feel like God loves them and that, and that everything is going to be great and they give their life to him. What happens when the seasons change? How are they going to handle when they find out that surrendering your life to Jesus doesn't mean that your life will always be perfect? And I worry for them. And I know it's not my place to worry for them. They're God's children. He just put the Holy Spirit in them. I know, but I've been a pastor long enough that I've watched people tell me how good God is for a decade and then sit in my office when something has gone really wrong and say, I, I just don't know if I believe anymore. And I think, how did we get here? For everything, there's a season and he's still God. Everything that's born must die. It wrecks us more than, I don't know anything that devastates humanity more than we have picked numbers that are appropriate for death. 95, it's a pretty good one. And we turn against God as that number drops. He says he's a God who blesses, and so that's great. But if we go through hard times, then maybe he's not there anymore. There's every season. And Solomon, Solomon summed it up. I told you in the beginning in part one that it all made sense when you got to the end. Because in the end, his advice is, let God be God. Look, you really wanna live a life of peace? There'll be a time that everything is born be a time that it dies. It's a time when you're gonna plant a great harvest and there's a time that a storm is gonna wipe it out. There's a time that you're gonna laugh with your friends and there's a time that you're gonna mourn. But if you wanna do well, if you want to end at peace in your soul, then just let God be God. He worded it this way. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Let God be God, because you're not anyway. I forgot how the worship team come out and join me. When we were doing the Thursday service, the exact same service as Sunday, I stood on the front row during worship and said, I wish I had thought of that. And so Thursday, they didn't know what they were doing when I called them out. At least they know what they're doing now. Isn't that great? But th this is not the song where we're gonna tell you to leave. You know that song that y'all woke out during? This is not it. This is the point where we have heard and now we're gonna talk back to God. We're gonna declare back to God that he is God alone. If you were noticing earlier, we sang a song that declared, let God be God. We declared this is my surrender. Your ways are better. If you want to stand to your feet, kneel 
on your knees, whichever makes you happy. Chelsea, will you take us? And never make room for you. Yes, God. To do whatever you want to. To do whatever you want to. And I will make room for you, Jesus. To do whatever you want to. To do whatever you want to. And I will make room for you. This is an invitation that we're singing to God right now for our lives. To do whatever you children and, and we acknowledge we've, we've literally been like that little child who crawls up in daddy's chair and smiles the problem is that was your throat so God as cute as it was we we come down from sitting in your throne declaring ourselves cute in that seat and we give it back to you we say God we don't see all that you see, we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't understand how to make every piece work together for everybody else. We spent all of our time just trying to make every piece work together for ourselves. And we declare, God, we are sorry. We surrender to you right now. Sit on your throne in our lives. Take your seat upon your throne in my, my mind, God, is what we say. Take your seat upon your throne in our hearts. God, your way is better. We, we say it in faith. We say it in declaration. We know our emotions don't always line up with that. But we just confess before you today that we are your children and you are God. You alone are God, El Shaddai. 
on your throne. If you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I want to talk to those of you that have never made the, the first step of surrender, and that is recognizing the free gift of salvation, the fact that God, although he's a great God on his throne, is also so personal and loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross, to die the most unbearable death that humanity's ever come up with so that his death would pay for your sins and his resurrection would give you eternal life. If you've never made the exchange of the life you've been living with you on your own throne for the one that he died to grant you, I wanna help you get that right now, wherever you are, in this room, online, wherever you are. Simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Everybody help me celebrate with those people.